Well, good morning. Thank God that you guys woke up on time. Came to church, the most spiritual people at the church. Amen? <laughs> Thank you for joining us online if you're online as well. Um, like Pastor Dan mentioned, we are uh, going to open up the Word of God today, and we're kicking off a new series. And the new series we're calling is it's Bodybuilding. Bodybuilding, because we are parts of the body of Christ. We have a part in His purpose. Right? The church is the body of Christ. And as we look forward toward Easter, for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about how God wants to use us as the parts of his body for his purposes in the church and through the church. And so we'll be talking about how we can strengthen the body, how we can work together to edify the body, how we can work together to expand the body. And so we're going to be talking today specifically about these individual parts, and that's you and me. We are the parts of the body, and specifically, we'll be talking about accounta- accountability. So last week, Pastor Gary encouraged us to keep on praying, keep on spending time in the Word, keep on serving, keep on sharing your faith. And the reality is, without accountability, it's going to be incredibly hard to be faithful in that. But with accountability, we can be encouraged and empowered to do so, and in doing so, we will be strengthened. If you're new to the idea of what accountability is or the idea of accountability partners, it's very simple. It's the fact that you invite people into your life who will keep you accountable, who you'll have to give an account to. And the purpose of that is to uh, encourage you in your faith and in your walk with Jesus and you to do the same for them. And so we're going to talk about finding the right people in our life. Some of us are in life groups and life groups aren't necessarily accountability groups, but they can be if we're very intentional about encouraging each other in our faith. So just show of hands, how many people in here already have an accountability partner or accountability group? Anybody in here already? Okay, good number of hands. There's a lot of you who didn't raise hands. So as we go through this message, I pray that for those of you who have an accountability relationship, that perhaps this will give us more insight and clarity as to how to do better in our relationships with each other. Maybe we're missing something. And then if you don't have an accountability relationship, that perhaps God would would, uh, lay on your heart why it's important and who we could actually invite. So would you take a moment, let's all bow our heads together, let's bow our heads, and I want to ask you before we pray to think of a, a person, or maybe people, who you could possibly invite into your life to hold you accountable, someone who you can ask to specifically encourage you in your faith and you can encourage them in theirs. God, I pray that as we open up your word and go through this time learning from your truth, I pray, Lord, that you would give us all people in our lives that we know will help us carry our cross to follow Jesus. The people we're thinking about right now, Lord, if, if those are the right people we should ask and invite into our lives, I pray that you would impress that in our hearts, that you would affirm that through the, throughout this message. And if there's someone else, Lord, I pray that you put their names on our hearts as well. But Lord, speak to us, Lord. We need each other. You put us in the body for a reason. 
You have purposes for us, in us, and also you have purposes through us. You want to use us, Lord. So strengthen your church. Build up your body. Use this time to do so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to be teaching through Romans chapter 7 today, but before we get into the message, I want to show you a video. Uh, this is one of my all-time favorite videos ever. And uh, you might have seen I posted it a few years ago on my social media. This is right when COVID shut everything down. But what you're going to see is my daughter when she was two years old, and she, she was put to the test. And uh, we just unrehearsed, didn't tell her what was happening. We just turned on the camera to see if she would obey mommy. So check out how my daughter did. Um, I'm going to put it here. Hold on. Don't eat it, okay? Listen to mommy. Don't eat it, okay? Well, let's wait till I come back, okay? Don't eat it. Right Don't eat it, okay? I'll be right back. Isn't that awesome? Oh, gosh. Praise the Lord. Why did I show you that video? What does this have to do with the message? Nothing at all. I just wanted to show you my cute daughter. That's it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. What you saw inside of her, and she was successful this time, but what you saw inside of her without her even having to say words was this internal battle that we all have. This is the human condition, this desire to want to do right but that struggle to want to go against it. And Paul speaks of a very similar law at work in us 2,000 years ago in Romans chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, I want to start from reading verses 15 through 19. And this is a law at work in every one of us. He says in verse 15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, what's he saying? This is all kind of confusing. Well, here's the bottom line, verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, 
Romans 7 isn't a passage about accountability, but I want to show you why accountability can be really helpful because of this law at work in each of us. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing I want to say this morning. Number one, accountability helps me to do the good I want to do. Accountability helps me do the good I want to do. Because reality is oftentimes I don't do the good I want to do or the good that I know I should do. And even Jesus said regarding his disciples who kept falling asleep, he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of us, show of hands, how many of us believe that it is good to pray and read your Bible? Anybody in here? Good, I should see 100% of hands going, it is very good to pray and read the Bible. But if I were to tell you, now go and spend the next 40 days, every single day, reading the Bible and spending time in prayer, I'm willing to bet that many of us... If not, most of us will not do it. You won't. And some of you guys are pushing back internally. What are you talking about, Greg? I just did 40 days. I did it every day. And if you did, that's awesome. That's great. But if you're able to make it through the 40 days of prayer in, in the word of God, I'm willing to bet it's because you weren't alone in it. We did it as a church. We challenged you to do it. We told you we would do it with you. You knew you would come back every weekend and we'd be speaking about it. You knew you'd be getting in your life groups and sharing about it. And so there's something about that togetherness that gives power to our plans. There's something about not going at it alone that greatly encourages us to do what sometimes can be hard to do. And that's what's so powerful about accountability. That's why accountability is so powerful. Now, if you grew up in the church, sometimes you might have like a negative view on accountability because sometimes you you experience where it's nothing but slapping your hand when you do something bad or getting rebuked when you fall into sin and i want to i want to change that perspective today i pray that spirit does that change and, and i want to show you that that more important than avoiding doing bad stuff is that good accountability ought to help us do the good that we know we ought to do, or the good we want to do, the good we know we should do. Many of you are familiar with the story in Exodus chapter 17. And in Exodus 17, there's a battle that's about to happen, and Moses is going to fight this battle with Israel against the Malachites. And what's crazy is this is before Zoom, this is before COVID, shut everything down, but Moses goes to work remotely. He fights this battle from a distance. And in Exodus 17, it says he goes up onto this hill while Israel goes down into the valley to fight against the Malachites. And here's how he fights. It says in Exodus 17, verse 11 and 12. It says, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses... His hands grew weary, so they took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur, these are two guys who were with him, held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, so that his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So the Bible is telling us that in this battle, this is a very interesting story. As long as his hands were held up, they would win. When they started falling down, they would start losing. And so they kept his hands up. And I'm wondering, what is so magical about this posture? What's so magical that this should keep them winning? 
Nothing magical at all. This was the posture of prayer in the Bible. You don't ever read anyone praying like this or anyone praying like this. When people pray, they lifted their hands. And this was a sign of surrender. This is a sign of dependence. This is a sign of trust. God, we need you in this. If you are not in this, we will not win this. And so his focus was on heaven. But the reality is there were times when he would grow weary. There were times where when, when, when his hands would grow weary, his body would become weak, his focus would start waning. But thank God for this one detail that I love about this story. This one detail is that before he went into the battle, he had two of his friends, two guys, come with him before the battle started. Two guys named Aaron and her, because perhaps he knew, I don't know, that... Maybe he knew there were going to be moments of weariness. Not intentionally, but naturally. He knew this is what I need to do. He knew this was the most important thing. Keep my focus on God. But sometimes our flesh becomes weak. We're not told why he brought Aaron and her up there. We don't know why. But we are told this very fact that in the moment when Moses was failing to do what he wanted to do, what he knew he needed to do, when he was failing to do that, his partners were there literally to hold his arms up. And I'm sure they weren't just holding his hands. I'm sure they were, hey, wake up. Wake up, Moses. Keep your attention. Don't take your eyes off, off God. Keep your focus on him. And I'm sure that they were there to help him do the good thing he needed to do. I want to point that out because as Pastor Gary challenged us to keep praying, to keep reading the word, to keep on serving, keep on sharing your faith. I trust you all want to. I know you know that's good. But let's be real. I guarantee you there will be days and there will be seasons where you're not going to want to. And you're not going to feel very motivated to do so. Not intentionally, but, but naturally. And so I want to ask you right now, who, who is it that you can invite into the battle before it starts? Who is it who you can invite into your life to help hold you accountable to keep doing the good things that will strengthen you and encourage you in your walk when you feel weak? Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says this. Hebrews 10, 24 tells us, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, a lot of times people will use this passage to tell you why we got to go to church on the weekends, or why we got to get into a life group, or get into a small group, or even an accountability group. But what's the thrust of this passage? Those are good applications for sure. Those are ways to apply this. But what is the thrust of what we're being exhorted to do? It's telling us we need to encourage one another. Let's consider how we can stir one another up to love and to do the good things we should do. Why? Because there's a day when Christ is coming. His day is coming. It's coming one day soon. So how can we really consider and think through how we can encourage one another as we wait for his coming? And so let us consider that means let's really, really put some thought to this. Let's think about this. When you think about the person that God has put into your life, knowing who he is, knowing how she struggles, knowing his weaknesses, knowing her schedule, how can I best stir her up? 
I have a friend who we've been keeping each other accountable for several years, over the past decade. And, and, and we, we try to encourage each other. And I'll be honest, it's been on and off. Sometimes we're really good at it, and then there's seasons where we get lazy. And so at the beginning of this year, we picked it up again. I said, hey, let's, let's keep each other accountable to just being in the Word of God. And we have to consider each other because he's a, he's a husband. He's a dad. He's got a newborn at home. He's got full-time work, and, and I got the same things going on in my life. So it doesn't make sense for us to take two hours out of the week to meet up for dinner and catch up. That just doesn't work for us. And so considering his situation and, and considering mine, how can we best encourage each other? So we found, very simply, we text. And we check in several times a week. How are you doing? You keeping up with the word? How are you struggling? How do you need prayer right now? And we'll send each other texts. We'll write out texts to each other, and we'll keep each other in check. That, that's what's working for us, and that's how we can encourage each other. I have another friend in this church who keeps me accountable. We actually can. Our schedules do match up, so we can do lunch once in a while, and, and we'll catch up with each other. We'll talk ministry. We'll talk about what the Lord is doing in our lives, and sometimes we can't meet up for lunch. So every single week, he'll record prayers, and he'll pray for me by name, lifting me before the throne, and he'll pray that I will keep doing the good things that I should be doing as a pastor, as a Christian, as a brother. And every time I hear that prayer, I hear his voice praying over me, it's exactly what I need to hear. And it encourages me to keep on doing the good that I need to, to do. So who do you have in your life who can keep you accountable to keep doing the good things you need to do? That's how accountability helps. Let me go on to a second reason why we need accountability. Write this down if you're taking notes. Accountability helps me avoid the bad I don't want to do. Accountability helps me avoid the bad I don't want to do. Because we go back to Romans 7, and in verses 19 and 20, it says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You know, it was Martin Luther who, who famously said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. There's some things we can't avoid, but there's other things we can because of it. And the reality is accountability is going to help us because for every Christian, you can't help but, being, but, but by being tempted by evil. You can't help that. But you sure can use some help to avoid it can't stop the sin and evil around us, but you can get some help to avoid it. How many of you have patterns in your life that you want to be broken so bad? Patterns of sin, habits, sinful habits, maybe even addictions, and you've been praying for years, God, would you break this? Help me to stop this. Maybe you struggle with gossip. Maybe for years you've been addicted to pornography. Maybe you've tried to stop drinking. You told yourself you wouldn't drink again. Next day, you're at it. Maybe you wrestle with vanity. You struggle with body image. Maybe you struggle with thoughts of shame or guilt. Maybe gambling or jealous thoughts plagues you, and it's ruining your life. 
And, and, and you've been praying, God set me free time and time again. You've been asking for victory in your life and you haven't seen the victory come. And you wonder if there's any truth to what this says. I want to ask you an honest question because I, I believe that it probably applies to many of us in this room, many of us listening. Because we're not immune to sin. We all struggle. But if that's you, I want to ask you an honest question. You don't have to answer out loud, but answer to yourself. Is there a person in your life who you can go and confess to? Say it out loud. And I'm not just talking about once because it can be easy to confess your struggles once. But I'm talking about every time you struggle with that temptation. And every time you've fallen into that sin, do you have a person whom you can confess that to? And do you? Do you have someone who will speak life into you, speak truth to you, who will encourage you, who will drop to their knees and pray for you in that moment? Do you have someone who will hold you accountable? Because the Bible says, if you want to question this, this have power, it tells us what we need to do. Proverbs 28, 13 tells us, it says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. We'll see no success in that. But who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. The Bible gives us practical wisdom. If you conceal it, no prosperity. If you reveal it, you'll receive mercy. Now let me say this before I go on. Let's make it very clear. We are not obligated to confess our sins to another human being to be forgiven. We are not obligated to do that. We are not obligated to go and confess to a father or a mother. We're not obligated to confess to a priest or a pastor. We're not obligated to confess to a sister or a brother. The only person we can go to to receive forgiveness when we sin against God is to go to God. We confess to God and we trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. When we sin against God, he's the one who forgives. Amen? Amen. Okay, we agree. Now, with that being said, why does the Bible tell us then to confess to one another? And why does it say there's power in that? James chapter 5 verse 16 tells us this, bluntly. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. And that's not just from physical sickness. It's also referring to spiritual sickness. The prayer of a righteous person, he goes on, is powerful and effective. Why, why is it so important to confess our sins to each other? James says because the one who is walking right with God, his prayer of faith is powerful and effective. And he goes on in the next breath to say, even Elijah, who's a guy just like you and me, he's human being made of flesh, but he was walking right with God. And when he prayed in faith, he said, God made the heavens not give any rain. It did not rain for three years. Three years later, he prays, God, would you please send the rain? He prays in faith and the heavens send rain. That's what happens when the one who walks right with God is praying in faith. It is powerful and effective. And so there will be times when you are falling into sin and not walking right with God, I pray that you have someone in your life who is walking right with God, who can pray in faith and intercede on your behalf because that prayer is powerful and effective. So find someone you can confess to. 
Find someone you could confess to. There were three pastors at a pastor's conference. And during the break time, they all went up to the, the hotel room. And in that hotel room, one of the pastors says, you know, everybody always confesses their sins to us. But we have no one to confess to. So why don't we just acknowledge we're sinners, right? We pastors are sinners. Let's confess to each other. And so the first pastor says, I'm glad we can do this. You know, I've been struggling with gambling. And I'll be honest, I've been tempted during this conference to leave this conference and find a casino in town. Second pastor goes, I'm glad you shared that because I actually struggle with drinking. And I've been tempted to leave this conference to head to the bar. The third pastor put his head down in his face, in his hands and had his fist clenched. And the other pastors are encouraging him, encouraging him, just share, just, it's okay. They're comforting him, just share and Finally, he raises his head and he smiles. He says, my struggle is with gossip. And I can't wait to get back to that conference. <laughs> Confess to someone, but not just anyone. Confess to someone that you can trust. Someone you know is walking rightly with God. And ask them to hold you accountable and intercede for you because the reality is there will be times when you are not living right because of certain sin in your life. I pray that you have people who will get on their knees and pray for you. And when the Bible tells us to confess to one another, I actually trust what it says that we can actually experience healing and victory over those sins we confess. Calling the sin out and speaking it out loud. Not concealing it within ourselves, but revealing it to others in our lives. I truly believe it can be the most powerful thing that we can do to avoid the sin in our lives and experience victory over it. And that's through the power of the Holy Spirit working through the church. Having an accountability friend provides an opportunity for us to call it out. To speak that sin out loud and loosen the grip of Satan. That person can help us avoid doing the bad things we don't want to do. Now, let me give you one last point before we close. Number three, here's why we need accountability. Because accountability helps me to remember the cross. If you haven't written anything down yet, write this down. Accountability helps me to remember the cross. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how we ought to live a life of repentance that we ought to turn and follow Jesus. Just as a reminder, Luke 9, 23, I'll give it to you again. Jesus said to them all, his disciples, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. They have to take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, the cross was an instrument of death in Jesus' day. You know that. It was an instrument of death. It was a symbol of sacrifice. And so when Jesus says, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross daily and follow me, what, what he's saying is that we have to deny our fleshly desires. We have to be one to deny our sinful nature in order to follow God and pursue his desires. If there's any desire in us or of our flesh that's hindering us from pursuing God, we deny that. We pick up our cross and we follow Jesus. And so the reality is we all have a cross to carry. 
All of us are made of flesh. We all have that same nature. And so all of us have something to deny in order to pursue Jesus. If you were born with an addictive personality, and that's a lot of us in this room, maybe to video games or to hobbies, to passions, to social media, if there's any idolatrous craving that's hindering your pursuit of Christ, we are to deny ourselves, carry our cross, and follow Jesus. If you're born in a country such as North Korea, where you could be persecuted for being a Christian, and you have to choose between following Jesus or, or, or dying for it, the call is to deny yourself, to deny your comfort, carry your cross, and you follow Jesus. If you're in a lousy marriage and you can't stand your spouse and it would just be so much easier to divorce. As a Christian, the call is to deny your convenience, carry your cross, and live in obedience. And I don't know why some people have such heavy crosses to carry. There are some of you in this room, you have a burden that seems almost unbearable. Some of us have much heavier crosses to carry than the person next to you. And I don't know why that is. Sometimes it seems so unfair. I had a friend who grew up in a Sikh household, Sikh religion, and she wanted to become a Christian. And when our family found out, they said, if you become a Christian, if you deny the Sikh religion to become a Christian, you're cut off from the family and you no longer are part of us. That's a cross that I've never had to carry. I don't get how you can make a decision like that. It's either her family or Christ. My family celebrates that I'm a Christian. They celebrate the fact that I'm a Christ follower. That is a cross that I can't imagine having to carry. I have a friend who grew up his whole life with homosexual attraction. And for him, his decision to follow Jesus was to deny himself, and he committed to living a celibate life to carry his cross and follow Jesus. And as a heterosexual man, I, I, how is it that I, I get my choice? I, I get to choose who I want to marry. He carries a cross that I've never had to, to carry myself. Why is it that some people's crosses, some people have greater sacrifices to make, heavier burdens to bear, for the sake of following Christ. I don't, I don't know why. I know this is true. Each of us, we are called to carry our cross. Every single one of us, we're called to deny ourselves. But I know this is just as true. Each of us are called, all of us are called to help others carry theirs. No one should have to carry it alone. Here's what Galatians 6 says, verse 1 and 2. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, you're walking in the Spirit, should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We need each other in this journey of faith. We need each other in this walk with Jesus Christ. There may be days or seasons where we will not feel strong enough. We will not be motivated enough to carry our cross. I'm telling you that day is coming. 
There will be that season where obedience will be overwhelming. Repentance will seem unappealing. There will be days when serving will feel inconvenient and and devotions will be difficult. There will be days when our flesh is weak, and so we need accountability friends who will remind us to carry our cross, who will encourage us to get up, remember that we have a cross to carry, and they will walk alongside with us to help us bear that burden. Now, with that being said, here's what I believe is the most important aspect of accountability friendships. This is what we need most in our relationships. We need someone who will not only help me to carry my cross, we need someone who's going to help remind me of the cross, the cross that Christ bore. That's what we need each other for most. Here's how Paul concludes in Romans chapter 7. Here's his conclusion, starting from verse 21. Then we'll go into a new chapter, chapter 8. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So here's his conclusion. Verse 24, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? And then he starts a new chapter, chapter 8, verse 1. This is a new chapter in Romans, and it's a new chapter in the Christian's life. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need accountability. Don't get me wrong. We need each other to help us do good that we want to do and to avoid the bad we don't want to do. That's so important to Christian life. But understand this. If my whole life is about trying to do the good I want to do and avoid the bad I don't want to do, if that's the purpose of our relationships, then what do we have there? All we have is a works-based religion, works-based relationships. And as important as it is to do good and stir each other up to do good and to avoid bad, there is a higher purpose, an ultimate goal in our relationship. And the higher goal and the ultimate purpose in our accountability ought to be this, to keep pointing each other back to the cross and to remind each other that in Christ you are fully loved, fully accepted, and fully forgiven. That's what we need. Friends, I need you to remind me. And you need me to remind you that it is Jesus who saves. He is the one who saves me from this body of death, from this struggle with sin, from my sinful nature. There is one person, one name that can save us for eternity. I will never be good enough. You will never avoid bad enough. I will fall in my pursuit of holiness. I'm going to stumble when I'm trying to carry my cross. There's days when you're going to feel unworthy and days where you're, you're going to feel unsaved. There's going to be days where you're going to feel guilty and feel ashamed. 
And so we need each other to remind ourselves of this one glorious truth, this gospel truth, that in Christ Jesus, we are forgiven and saved. And therefore, there is now no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? We need Jesus. We stand forgiven. We stand in his grace. And so listen, the best friends you could possibly have, the best accountability partners you could find are those who will remind you daily, hey, get up, pick up your cross. And they're the ones who are going to actually come around you and help you carry your cross. And more importantly and most importantly, they're going to be the ones to remind you, hey, Jesus died on the cross. You are forgiven and you are saved. You are fully loved and forever accepted. I want to close uh, just by sharing this one thing. I, you know, I discovered that there's a watch, a, a smart watch. It's called the Embrace 2. And it was a watch that was invented and developed for people who suffer from having seizures, people with epilepsy. And uh, they, they say that when, when someone's having a seizure, there's some things you don't want to do. People who have seizures don't normally die, but if they die which it happens, it's normally not because of the seizure, but usually it's because of external factors. They lose control, and maybe they fall into water and they drown. Or maybe they hit their head and no one's there to attend to them. Or, or, or maybe they, they choke on something. And so when someone's going through a seizure, they say, what you don't want to do is don't hold them down. Don't restrain them. Or they'll say, don't speak harshly to them. Don't stick anything in their mouth. Don't shove anything down their throat. All you can do, the best thing you could do when have, someone's having a seizure is just be present. Just protect them. Watch around them. Watch over them. Speak calmly to them. Speak gently to them. And they found this. This is what research has found. This is incredible. They say, even say their name. Because when you do these things, they say this can actually interrupt the misfiring neurons in their brain and establish normal brain function activities in moments. It could, it could, it could bring them back. Just be present with them. And so what you do with this Embrace watch, you, um, you find a circle of friends and you let them know of your situation and you invite them in and ask them, will they be there in a time of need? And if they agree, you load them into your app and it syncs with your phone and, and your, uh, it syncs with your watch. And your watch will know, it will be able to detect when someone's having a seizure. And in that moment of need, that vulnerability, when, when you're having a seizure, it will notify your circle, your friends. And it's up to your friends to come immediately and be there with you in that moment to, to watch over you, to protect you, to speak gently, to speak grace, and even say your name. And they have found that this watch, they have testimonies and stories of lives being saved, that it could actually save physical life and allow that person to experience the fullness of their lives. It's so cool. The, the device was invented by this, name, this uh, lady named Rosalind Picard. She's a decorated scholar, decorated uh, scientists and professor at MIT based off of their research. She was an atheist, and now she is a fully devoted follower of Christ. You should hear her stories, and she shares about how she sees God in everything, especially science. 
And her watch that she invented is the only FDA-approved watch for people with epilepsy. You may not suffer from seizures, but we all suffer from this thing called sin. And how life-saving, how life-giving is it to have people on call who will be there in a moment, even in your moment of vulnerability, who will be there to be present with you, to speak gracefully, gently to you, words of truth, who not only know your name, but more importantly know the name of Jesus, who will drop to their knees and call on his name for your sake. I pray that, that you have those friends in your life. I pray that we would all have those accountability friends. And when we do, I believe we will be strengthened. And when we are strengthened, so shall the body of Christ be. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Earlier, I asked you to think of a name or two. And I, I don't know if through this message, if God was affirming those are people that you should formally invite to hold you accountable. Maybe he's been putting other people on your heart throughout this message, but let's pray and ask that God would give us the courage to go and make an invitation this week, maybe today, that we wouldn't just sit on this, but that we, that, that we would move so that we can start building up the body together. Father God, I pray that we would be good stewards of just the, the friendships, the relationships that you've given us, God. You've given us a church, the body of Christ, made up of many parts. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a healthy body, Lord, that we would walk with each other, work together, strengthen each other, God. And God, I really pray that these names that we have on our hearts, people you've put in our lives, Lord, that if, if those are the people that we should formally invite to hold us accountable and people that we in exchange can keep accountable, God, would you give us courage? Give us strength in your Holy Spirit to actually go and ask them. Start a conversation and, and see if this is something that we can continue on so that we can keep on doing the good things we ought to do to avoid the bad things we shouldn't do but ultimately to remember together that Jesus saves. God, thank you so much. How can we not worship you? How, how can we not respond and sing to you? And so, Lord, we, we just want to do that now. I pray that you would help us treasure all these things in our hearts, that we would consider them and ponder them, and I pray that, Lord, we would just respond in giving you our life, our song, our breath, everything in our lungs that we would praise you, God. And so we do that now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.